Good morning, everybody. We are in week four of a series called Ghost Stories, where we're looking at the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, and how we can be in tune with him in our everyday daily lives. Everyday daily lives. That's intentional, because sometimes we go through our day and we think it's ordinary, but yet the Holy Spirit wants to infuse with the extraordinary. And we've looked at, if you haven't been here, you can go back, but we've looked at the barriers to living a Spirit-filled life. We've looked at the Bible's reasons that we can trust the Holy Spirit. We've also looked at the reality that living with and in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is a holy matter. It's sacred. It's It's powerful. It's sometimes even dangerous. And so God calls his followers to this life of forgiveness, love, truth, and and mercy and grace in everyday, ordinary way. But practically, what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, the short answer is by living in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So rather than give you a faith story today, um, I'm going to have Jordan come up and give you a Holy Ghost story of what that looks like to live in the gifts of the Spirit. So Jordan, would you share? My name is Jordan Nims, and how many of you know when your pastor asks you if you'll speak about saying yes to the Holy Spirit, there's no saying no to that. (laughs) It's like a Jedi mind trick. It's like, will you say yes to saying yes to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Um, But I'm actually really excited to be here and share how the Lord has been working in my life over the last probably five or six months. Um, It started about five months ago when I came to the Lord and really just said, Lord, I'm here. I just, I say yes, and I'll go. I am giving you everything. And the Lord wasted no time to put me to work, and I was very grateful for that. And throughout the last five months or so, it's been amazing to see the Lord work in our lives through the trials we've been through and through the blessings that we've seen. To watch the Lord walk us through that and be so powerful in everything and to see him clearer and clearer. A few weeks ago, uh, I heard from a friend of mine, an old friend who used to be the drummer in my band, that his dad, who had been fighting cancer for about a year, was being taken off of treatment and... They were moving him into hospice care, and they were giving him a few weeks. And I knew that the family was agnostic, and right away I felt like I had to get to him. I had to pray with him. I had the strongest feeling, and I just said, Lord, if this is you, if this is what you want, I'll go. The following morning, Judy was the guest speaker here, and she talked about how the shepherd will leave the 99 to go save that one lamb. I just said, Lord, I hear you right now. So there was some difficulties in setting up the meeting. There was a little bit of pushback. and It was hard to schedule it, but we got it scheduled, and I was so excited to be going. Uh, the father, his name's Tom, he lives in Mankato. And on the drive down, I just felt full of the Holy Spirit. And it was this amazing time of praise and meditation on the Lord. And I was so ready to get there and 
just get the Holy Spirit there and unzip myself and let the Holy Spirit come out. And I was so excited. So I got there and sat down with Tom's wife and talked to her for about 30 minutes. And then Tom came out and I started talking, small talk with him. He's a musician and loves music. We talked music. And I thought, all right, Holy Spirit, here you go. And uh, it was still just me and Tom. So I was like, all right, I know some things I could say. So I started asking some questions and started seeing where Tom was spiritually. And my plan was to listen to him and see what he had to say. And he had some things to say, and we talked for a while. And then I opened up to him about my story and my journey. And I told him that I'm not here as some sort of saint. I've lived a life where I was literally broken on the ground. And the Lord looked at me and said, you're perfect. And he built me up. And I've been through a lot. And I see how faithful the Lord is. And I shared this with Tom. And his posture literally changed towards me. And he started asking really good, really real questions. And we really started to get somewhere. And I was waiting for this big Holy Spirit moment. And it wasn't really happening. But I'm like, this is good, though. Things are happening. Hearts are changing. This is good. So I asked him if I could pray for him and with him. And he said yes. And I prayed. And I was like, Holy Spirit, here you go. And I just prayed for him. It was a good prayer. And I was like, okay, Lord, this is good. We're, I'm here. We're planting seeds. And uh, Tom, being a musician, a few days before I went, I had it on my heart that I should be ready to sing a song to him. So um, right away, the song that came to me was You Never Let Go. And uh, as soon as I read through it, I was just like, this is amazing. The Lord is working here. The Lord is sending me with this song. And so I started playing the song for him. And I was like, oh, this is going pretty good. And it's just me and the guitar just singing the song. That's all right. The Lord is working here. And when I got to the last chorus, ending the song, the song changed. The heart of the song changed. Everything that was happening changed. And I was just holding on like, I'm glad you're in control right now, Lord, because I don't know what's happening, but this is amazing. And I just went with it. And it was this pouring out of uh, God being with us in spite of everything and seeking us. And uh, I finished the song, and I just put my head down, thanked the Lord, and I just felt this rush come up my back. And I looked up, and Tom and his wife were in tears. And I hugged Tom for a while and talked to him. I, I asked him if he would just seek the Lord and look for Jesus' face in that. And he promised me he would, and he said he was excited to. And I left him my Jesus Calling devotional, which I would definitely recommend looking into if you haven't heard of it. It's a practical uh, words from the Holy Spirit uh, based on Scripture. And I left there just feeling the Holy Spirit, just feeling so full of the Holy Spirit, and drove home and had songs bursting out of me and was just so grateful. And seven days later, um, right before I went to worship band practice, I found out that Tom had passed away. I went to practice, and it was a very spirit-filled practice. It was great. And I got into the car, and I turned the car on. And on KTIS, they had just started playing You Never Let Go. And I don't know if I've ever heard that song on the radio before. I'm not going to get into odds or statistics, because I'm not a statistic person. I'm a 
Holy Spirit person. I'm a faith person. And I just knew that God was reaching down to me to appreciate me. And when I, the whole time after I said yes to the Lord and continued to say yes and continued to say no to anything that was trying to interfere, the Lord didn't pull me closer, but the Lord became clear and everything, all distractions were removed. I am seeing the Lord so much better and it's so great. And I learned a lot from this whole experience. I learned that the Lord didn't come to me as a burning bush or in this big booming voice. He just put a feeling in me that you can do something here. There's so many things where we see it and we go, that's, I can't do everything. But when we feel like I can do this and something is pulling me to do this, and then I just prayed that the Lord would lead me in that, and then I had confirmation in it, and I went. Also, in this whole experience, I've been reminded of the Lord's pursuit of us, how far he goes. He didn't give up on Tom because Tom hadn't chosen him. He said, that's my child, and I'm going to send to somebody. It's amazing to be used as a tool for the Lord. And it's what we're made for. It's incredible. And it's, it's so worth it. And I just think, you know, what if in our area, in Apple Valley, in our community, every time God was looking for a, the tool for the job, if he just looked at restoration as the toolbox. And he's like, I got this guy who can relate with this guy. I've got this lady who can relate here. When we say yes, it's so good. It's so good to be seeing the Lord and feel so close to the Lord and is worth it because he is worth it. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Sometimes my dad actually called me this weekend, and he was here last week, and he said, hey, did I leave this uh, ratchet at your house? And I'm, I looked through my whole toolbox, and I, I was just thankful that I could find my ratchets, and first of all, that I knew where they were, and second of all, that I had three of them, but that I didn't have four, because then I was able to say, no, Dad, I'm sorry, that, that's at your house. But it really stinks when you don't have the right tool. It also really stinks when you only have one tool, and you just keep using that tool over and over and over. Um, and yet... When we have the right tools, we can see how much easier a work is. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying yes. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible or you can use your phone, we won't judge you. Sometimes I use my phone. Um, version is my app of choice. 1 Corinthians 12, you can click, turn, or we might even actually just put it on the screen. But you might want to take some notes and we are going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit exactly enables and empowers believers to use their spiritual gifts. How does that happen? Not exactly that, because none of you are exactly Jordan, but how can the Holy Spirit enable and empower you in your life? 1 Corinthians 12 starts with Paul saying to the people of Corinth, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, because they had written him and asked certain things. One of them specifically was about these gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says, now about these gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be unaware. 
I want you to think about maybe when the first time you heard the word spiritual gifts was in your life, because it might be today. When I was a child, I'd never heard of spiritual gifts. As a teenager, I didn't hear of spiritual gifts. I'm not even sure if I heard of spiritual gifts as a college student. It could have been that I wasn't listening, I'll be honest. There are times that I was tuned out, but I think for a lot of my life, I was unaware. And Paul's just saying, hey, we need you to be aware. But we also need you to know that they're not something to fear. Because there were people in Corinth that were using all kinds of crazy things and saying, oh yeah, that's a gift of the Spirit, and that's a gift of the Spirit, and that's a gift of the Spirit. And, and if you have heard of spiritual gifts, then I'm guessing that maybe you've heard of someone talking wildly about them, and they come across as weird or creepy. And... While those people, those people might be weird or creepy, we're not here to judge them, it doesn't mean that the gifts of the Spirit are weird or creepy. So let's look at some of the things that, holy, that are spiritual gifts. First of all, if I had to define a spiritual gift, I'd say it like this. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by God to God's people to do God's work. It's a special ability given by God to God's people to do God's work, first in the church and then in the world. And we'll look at some examples of that. But if you're a believer in Christ, then the Holy Spirit will equip you with at least one spiritual gift so that you can meet the needs of believers and bless the world around us. So I think one of the ways he does that is in these first couple verses that we see here in this chapter. After he talks about being uninformed and not wanting the people to be uninformed, he says, you know, when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced or led astray by mute idols. Mute being ones who can't talk, idols being things that you think have power or influence in your life, but really don't. So he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, what was happening in Corinth, first of all, to be pagan in Corinth could mean a lot of different things. It could mean that you were Greek because Corinth was in Greece, but, but you weren't Roman because Rome came in and took over Corinth in, oh, like 150-ish BC. So, or it could mean you're Roman and everyone around you is Greek. That could be a way that you're pagan. But it could also be that you believe in the divine power of love. Because high atop of this mount, this city, hill outside of Corinth, is this giant temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And so there were lots of people who believed in the divine power of love. And we should just love. And, and I think maybe John Lennon went there at one point. Just kidding. My point is that pagan could be a lot of different things. But then it could also be this, just this Greek idealism that would come around and and promote these values of individualism, equality, freedom, and distrust and authority. So I want you to just think about those ideals. I know they'd be hard to picture 2,000 years later. Individualism, equality, and, and freedom and distrust of authority. Hmm. Do you think we could relate to those? That's what Paul is trying to confront 2,000 years ago. People in Corinth would be focused on themselves. They would be focused on this uh, compartmentalized thinking and this idealism 
that we just talked about. And so when, and how I think that relates is that when I am focused on myself, my self-interest, how I can have a spiritual gift that I can use, that I can be seen for, then we are not, it's not going to work. We're not going to see it. Because the way that the Holy Spirit works is that he gives freely to those who are ready. That's what I think these verses are talking about, that the Holy Spirit gives freely to those who are ready. To be ready means that we're ready to receive from the Holy Spirit, not some other spirit. To be ready means that we are not looking to our own interests, but we are looking to the interests of others. To be ready means, God, I'm available. Would you use me? And then when God says yes, you say, okay. Even if you're not sure how it's gonna turn out. Story after story after story in the scriptures. I would love to just go off on this tangent, but I'll just say it for a moment. When God says, where are you? Your answer is supposed to be, here I am. Samuel comes to his prophet father, Elijah, or not Elijah, um, Eli, thank you. Thank you, we would have been there forever. (laughs) Eli, Eli, you called me. And he says, no, I didn't. So he goes back to bed. And it's God calling him. And finally, he says, here I am. When the prophet Nathan came to David and spoke to him through the power of God, he says, here I am. When the Joseph, the son of Jacob, has to go see to the peace of his brothers, his father calls him and says, I want you to go look for your brothers, look out for them. And he says, here I am, father. I will go even though he didn't know what it would mean. And when we say, God, I'm available, and he says, okay, I'd like you to do this, then we can go and we can trust that God will be there. That's what being ready means. But I think he goes on to say more than that, that we need to be ready to receive from the Holy Spirit, this unique spirit that's different than all the other spirits that might be in the world. And so when we ask for the power to receive this unique spirit, then we have to be ready to receive a unique gift. God just doesn't come in this abstract power. He comes with specific power in a specific way. And so for Jordan, it was Tom. Why? Because his band member called him. All right, so I'm available, and now I'm available to Tom. So God gives all of these different gifts, of diversity of gifts, but for the unified good. The good of his kingdom, the good of the church, the good of the world. And we have to be willing to see a diversity of gifts. If all we're doing is going, well, it sounds like God gave Jordan music and then gave him evangelism, his ability to share his faith, and I have to pray for music and evangelism. And that's the only way that I'll be able to receive the power of the Spirit. I would say, no, that's not what we see in the Scriptures. What we see in the Scriptures, starting in verse 4, is a diversity of gifts. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit that distributes. There are different kinds of service, so now he's using a different word. First he used gifts, then he uses service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, another different word, but in all of them, everyone and in everyone, it is the same God at work, giving this diversity, but bringing back to this unity. And then he says, now to each one, a manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. 
by means of the same spirit, and to another, faith by the same spirit, and to another, healing by that one spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing of spirits, and still to another, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes each of them just as he determines. So I almost pictured a little like Christmas when the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are getting together. They're like, ooh, we've got all of these presents. What do we want to give out? Well, the Holy Spirit gets to determine where those go. Ooh, I want to give this gift over here. Oh, I'd like to give this gift over here. Ooh, I'd like to give this gift over here. Oh, there's a need right here. This one might not stay here forever, but I'm going to give this one right now. And you might receive one single specific gift of the Holy Spirit to be used in that moment and in a month you don't have that gift anymore. It doesn't mean the Spirit has left you. It just means the Spirit comes and works in these moments to reveal God's presence, to show that diversity, not only of the way he distributes those gifts, but also all the different types of people in the church and in the world. And so it's his decision, but just because it's the same Spirit doesn't mean we'll get the same gifts. I remember one of my friends in seminary, he, was, he, was, he grew up in a denomination where he was not allowed to be baptized and be a leader in the church, even though he very much felt called to be a leader in the church because he hadn't received a specific gift of the Holy Spirit. And he just said it with such pain in his eyes. And if you've been a part of a church that says, the only way that you can be special here is to have this gift or these gifts, I, I just don't see that in the scriptures. I'd love to talk to you after, but what God shows over and over is a diversity of gifts. In fact, the very first time the Bible talks about spiritual gifts is actually back in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 31. And Moses and the people of God who are just learning to be the people of God, they haven't really known this God very well. They've been slaves in Egypt for all this time, but they journey for a while, we'll say 40 days, to this mountain, and God is giving them instruction on the mountain. And after several rounds of instructions, he gets to this point where he's talking about the tabernacle, this, this temporary tent where the spirit and presence of God, who they can't see, and if they do see, they'll probably die, where he'll dwell. And so he's giving the instructions of how, because he's holy, we talked about this last week, but because he's holy, there are certain parts, the closer we get to God's presence, the more powerful he becomes. And he talks about this most holy place, and in the most holy place is this most holy box, the Ark of the Covenant, how it's gold and has these cherubim on the top and houses the most sacred of elements, Well, in Exodus 31, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Beelzeel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. He has the Spirit of God, and then he has gifts. I filled him with wisdom and understanding and with knowledge and with all kinds of skills for making art. Crafts. Did you ever think arts and crafts? Is a spiritual gift? 
This is where, this is where camps decided that this would be one of the things that they would work on. <laughs> We've got to do arts and crap. Maybe not. But no one ever told me that, that having a skill to work with gold, silver, bronze, to cut stones, and to work with wood, and to engage in these kinds of... No one ever told me that that could be a spiritual gift. I thought that was like what you did for a job. This is the first person who is, who is called out for having a spiritual gift. There's a huge diversity of gifts here. So if you have gifts in music or gifts in art or gifts with wood, they could be a spiritual gift. Because if it's given by God to God's people for God's work, first in the church and then in the world, I think it would qualify. There are many different, many different passages that describe spiritual gifts. If you want to write them down to look at them later, um, we'll go through a couple, but Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And not all the lists are the same, suggesting that maybe some of us have thought about spiritual gifts a little too narrow. I mean, the Holy Spirit has to be in them. But maybe something that you have could be a spiritual gift. When you're born, you're given natural talents. So I'm not talking about that. When you're born again, meaning when you trust and receive Jesus, then you're given supernatural abilities. Sometimes those overlap, but they are distinct. So please hear me saying that. The Bible gives these lists, and it's important to know that in Corinth, their worship was crazy. Maybe you've been to a concert where they have light shows and crazy dancers. Corinth was a little bit like that. You never knew what was going to happen. Someone would come and say they had a word from God. Somebody else would come and start speaking in a different language. No one was there to interpret. It was pandemonium. And so Paul, the apostle who spent uh, three, 18 months there, says, the God of the universe brought order out of chaos. And he wants a little order in your worship. He wants it to be helpful not to spend time showcasing people because the focus isn't supposed to be on people. It's supposed to be on God. And so if you see spiritual gifts as a way to compete or compare, then it's probably not good. If you see them as a thing that only, only the pastor, only special people can get them, then we're probably not understanding correctly. And if we see it as a sign of maturity, then we're also a little inaccurate because the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those are signs of maturity. And the people in Corinth were divisive and arrogant and kind of immature. I'm sure that you know none of us can relate to that. So he gives all these different kinds of gifts and we just, we just listed them. And in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 12, or actually, he gives all these different kinds of gifts and says it's okay to seek the greater gifts. So there is this unique spirit who gives this diversity of gifts for the common good. We need to be ready and willing. But then, when he says seek the greater gifts, I would say that we need to be ready that those greater gifts might not be the ones that we think are great. 
Because then he starts talking about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And then he starts talking about the gifts again, and he brings up prophecy, which would be truth-telling. This is one that builds up the church. He goes on and on and on to say, this one builds up the church. This is why this one's better than the interpretation of tongues or the speaking in tongues. It's not that we don't think that God still uses it. I do think he still uses it. He clearly says, though, that truth-telling from God boldly builds up the church more. The list in, 1 Corinthians, or in Romans 12 builds up the church. It says we have different kinds of gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophecy, then do it. Then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's giving mercy, do it cheerfully. So maybe you're wondering, well, how do you exactly discover your gifts? So yes, there are spiritual gift assessments out there. If you want to do a membership class with us, we actually go through that. We also, I think there's a spiritual gift assessment on that Uversion app you can find on your app store. But one of the fun, fun ways to try and discover it is what somebody calls the pumpkin pie picture. So, little picture Uh, Thanksgiving, you're with a bunch of people and the pies have come out. And you watch someone at the end of the table, they're slicing their pie, they're dipping the scooper in to get it, but the pie, the whole pie is on the edge of the table with a little bit of it off the side and it's about to come down and all of a sudden scoops the pie and boom, all over the floor. What do you do? Maybe you have the spiritual gift of mercy. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I just want to minister to you and meet that need. If you're, if, and, and, and that's a spiritual gift. That's a good gift. We need that gift. Because some of you might be going, oh, I totally saw that happening. In fact, I was just about to say, hey, fool, you got the plate over the edge. You shouldn't do that. Then you probably have the gift of prophecy. Okay? <laughs> a little opposite, but again, we're not comparing. If you decide... Like the moment you see this happen and all over the floor and kind of the splattering of the pumpkin juices and filling all over their pant leg and you run to the kitchen and you get a washcloth and some 409, then you maybe have the gift of serving. Okay, if you decide instead that you're like, oh, you know what, I've studied this before, people, I wanna show you the right way to scoop out the pie and slice the pie so that none of it ends up the floor. Teaching. Okay, and if you're, if you think like when you see that pie on the floor that you run over there and you just look at the person and you think, that's awful. Man, this happened to me one time and you just grab some of it and you throw it on yourself to make them feel better. Encouragement, right? It's a spiritual gift. And if you're like, if you think, oh my gosh, we just lost a pie. I'll go buy four more pies for everybody. You have the spiritual gift of giving. Okay, all of these are good. And if you're thinking, okay, wait, no, stop, everybody, hold on. All right, the pie's on the floor. Hey, you, giving, why don't you run to the store? I mean, I say that in love. And three people over here, why don't you go clean it up? We're gonna, we're gonna dig this pie off the floor. Somebody else go, you have the gift of leadership. All of these are needed. And when all of these diverse gifts start happening in the church, do you know what the world says? The world says, oh my gosh, what is different there? Think about all the organizations that you could be a part of in the world. They all use strategy, they all use talents, they all use money, 
to try and get this thing across. They all use people to do that. But the church is this place that you voluntarily join, that no matter what age you are, you can be a part of, that all centers around one person who claims to have lived and died and rose from the grave, and I believe he did, so just saying he did claim that, and we believe it. This is the organization that God says, I want to use that to reveal my presence and to heal and bless a broken world. See, the reason why I was hesitant to spend too much time on the specific gifts is one, it's so easy to compare, but two, it misses the point of why God gives the spiritual gifts. It's to reveal his presence and bless the world. He says it at the end of this little section in 1 Corinthians with verse 11, all these are work of one and the same spirit, just as he distributes as he determines. Just as one body is one body with many parts, all of its parts have one body. That's what Christ is. And now all of you, you all, are part of the body of Christ. Every one of you is a part of it. Which is why my prayer is that restoration would look a little bit unique in the world and that we wouldn't just find someone with great gifts and then immediately start, put them on a staff and pay them and, and we would have the staff do all the work because that's not what we see in the scriptures. If you are part of the body and you have gifts, then you belong and then you participate. Not out of force, but out of a sense of, I'm in, we're in it together. That's why, yes, we want to have staff. We want to have staff to encourage and equip, but not to do all the work. We share in the work. We share in the work of sharing the faith. We share in the work of setting up. We share in the work when the truck doesn't start. We just engage. That's part of what it means to serve humbly, as one of our values says. It's part of what it means to, to accept community. We can't do it on our own. So, what do you do with this? Well, imagine you have a father who gives you a $1,000 gift card to Manny's Steakhouse. I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian, okay? But Manny's Steakhouse, and your father says, I want you to take out your family and your closest friends and just go have a great dinner. And you say thank you to your father, and you grab that gift card, and you start checking around for people's availability and this person's not available this weekend and this person's not available in this weekend, so you slide the card into the drawer where the gift cards go to die, (laughs) right? And it just slowly, as the weeks go by, as people aren't available, it just gets further and further and further into the drawer and all of a sudden this four-inch drawer becomes eight inches deep and, and the gift card just sits there unused. I mean... Okay, I like to spend money, but I love to spend other people's money. <laughs> like, I don't know where my daughter gets it. I love to take out a, to go out a gift card of my dad and like, oh, you want that steak? Oh, you should get the ribeye. Don't, no, don't, don't get that one. Get this one. Yeah, it's $20 more or 50 Oh, let's be honest. It's $100 more. But it's not just for us. That gift card isn't meant to go unused. The father delights to hear about the party. 
And the same is true with our spiritual gifts. God wants you to use them to reveal his presence and to bless the world. So would you just start? Start by saying yes. Start by studying the gifts. I think we'll even just quickly put them up. It's an easy one. It's an acronym, so you can remember. S, study the gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Then ask the Spirit to reveal the gifts. Oh, no, I forgot T, right? T, trial and error. Try stuff. You don't have to take a test. Just try stuff. If people are like, hey, I saw God in that, then maybe it's a spiritual gift. A, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask him. You'd be amazed at the number of people that don't ask God for gifts. You can do that. He asks you to do that. R is what Jordan mentioned. Hey, God, I'm ready. Oh, and I'll respond. I'll respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. This is how God will enable and empower you. And yes, if you are not sure, you can take a spiritual gifts assessment. You can see through these online things what gifts are out there and how they might work, and they might be accurate. But remember, the point isn't to do it alone. It's to do it together, to sense God's work in your life. And if you've ever been exhausted from saying yes to something, then maybe it's not a gift of yours. Would you pray with me? God, you say at the end of your list in 1 Peter of spiritual gifts that that when we exercise those gifts, that everything we do will bring glory to you, Father, through Jesus Christ. And that's our prayer, God, that, that that we wouldn't be unaware of the spiritual gifts, that we wouldn't be comparing or thinking we need to have the same gifts, but that we could just understand that as we live into the gifts that you give us, that you reveal your presence, you bless the world, and you receive glory for that, God. That people will come to know you, and I pray, God, that we would be people like that. And I pray specifically for those, God, that don't know your gifts, but really might not know you. God, may they hear that your greatest gift is by the, the one that you sent, Jesus, to live on this earth, to show us the way, but God, to die for our sins because we deserve to be separated from you because we've said no to you or no thanks to you so many times. And yet, Jesus comes and lives his life perfectly and pays for it with his death to pay for all the times that we've said no, for all the sins that we've said, for all the sins that we've done. And when we receive that gift, God, you say it's eternal life. And a life in the spirit is one that lasts into eternity. So I pray, God, that we would, first of all, just thank you that you save us. And that secondly, we would praise you for empowering us. And that we would not be afraid to say yes to you, no matter where you take us. In your name, amen.